The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 182 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Oh my gosh, today, I'm so excited, I'm so excited. We're going to have a real fun time today. Uh, You're about to hear a wonderful conversation with Stephen Paul Leva. And we're going to be discussing a whole bunch of other things, but also we're focusing a lot on his, uh, his most recent novel called Creature Feature, A Horrid Comedy. And not only is it his latest novel, but this is a production and a half because... After he put the book together, you know, it's out It's out and available on digital and print, but he did something special with the audio because normally you, know, you get a narrator who reads it and they do a fantastic job. You know, there's lots of wonderful uh, books out there. This, however, was, uh, like I said, this is a production. You've got a soundtrack, you've got uh, a few sound effects, you've got some wonderful voice acting from uh, Seamus. Dever and his wife Juliana, uh, Seamus. If you if you know the show Castle, he played Ryan on the show, and he's the voice actor on it. They do some fantastic voice acting, uh, really capture the voices of it. And the reason this is such a production and so different and unique is because it's it's in the style of the old time uh, radio dramas, you know, the monster uh, monster movies, and it, it's. Uh, there's just there's just such a love affair for the uh, the golden oldies in in radio and monster movies and he Stephen does a fantastic job of just pulling the whole genres uh you know all these genres together and uh it paints a picture in your mind that i i really enjoyed i've already read the whole book or you know read in quotations i listened to the whole book i grabbed the audio cuz i wanted to see what this was going to be like and I I loved it, and uh, I'm actually considering going back and listening to it again because it was it was it's so good, it's so much fun, and and you gotta you gotta be careful whenever you're listening too. There's such a quick wit to the whole thing, you, you'll miss jokes uh, if you're not paying attention. So it, it's a lot of fun. You're gonna love it, and uh, you get a sample of that today instead of Stephen doing the reading, which is what we normally do here on the show. Uh, you're going to have a sample of the actual audiobook, including an extended uh, version of the soundtrack at the end of that. So it is so much fun. You're, you are in for a treat. So stay tuned for that here. It's coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, not only that, but also you have the uh, interview. And we are talking about his new publishing company that uh, is called Magpie Press, which is what put out Creature Features, the first book from the company. Now we're talking about his love for old monster movies and what is an Illa. <laughs> that was that's in the book, but it's also something we discuss. It's a lot of fun. Uh, he gives us some tips for writers when it comes to writing for the purpose of reading out loud, which was a unique take. I'd never heard that before, and it it gave my writing uh, since then uh, some new purpose. It's given me. The ideas of like, oh, let me think about this, how this is going to be, because I, I think I write visually, I you know, I see it as a big production, but I didn't really consider the idea of, 
oh, but, you know, somebody might read this out loud as an audiobook, and what is it going to sound like? And uh, so that's, that's cool. It's a very unique take, and, and, and it was great advice. Uh, we also hear a story, uh, one of his Ray Bradbury stories, and uh, we also hear about uh, what all he used to do with the WB, the Warner Brothers Network with cartoons. A whole bunch of fantastic stories and information that you're going to find in today's episode. So, like I said, stay tuned. It's coming up here in just a moment. Meanwhile, I want to thank longtime sponsor Scrivener. Hey, check out this advertisement so you can learn how to save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. All right, thank you once again to Scrivener. I also want to thank my partner at Audible, which, of course, Audible, that's where I grabbed Creature Feature, a horrid comedy, so that I could listen to that. And you can do the same by clicking the link in the show notes and uh, grabbing yourself a free 30-day trial. Hey, listen to this to learn more about our partnership with Audible. Hello, friends. Jason here. And I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a great offer from Audible. Like you, I'm very busy. I have a full-time job, a family, I'm a thriller author, and I do this weekly podcast. But I also love to read. That's where Audible is a lifesaver for me. Whether I'm mowing the yard, working out, driving back and forth to work, or doing some other menial task, I can still listen to an incredible book through Audible. And now you can get a free 30-day trial by going to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter. By doing that, you'll not only have that 30-day trial, you'll also gain access to guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, exclusive Audible Originals, and even podcasts like the Sample Chapter Podcast. Last year is the first time I ever achieved my own personal reading goals, and it was because of some wonderful titles I listened to on Audible. Some of those titles were Ready Player Two by Ernest Cline, narrated by Will Wheaton, the Awaken Online series from Travis Bagwell, narrated by David Stifle, Patient Zero by Jonathan Mayberry, narrated by the incredible Ray Porter, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention previous guest Scott Meyer with his Magic 2.0 series narrated by Luke Daniels. It's a lot of fun and definitely worth your time. Hey, full disclosure, by signing up at audibletrial.com slash sample chapter, the show does get a little monetization, which goes directly towards any production needs uh, with the show. So you're also helping us out here by signing up. So what are you waiting for? Head on over now to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter and start your free 30-day trial today. Yes, indeed. Thank you again to Audible. Uh, it's a service that I love, and uh, I'm, I'm using it a lot here lately. I'm, I've been listening to at least a book a week 
on Audible, including the uh, paperbacks and electronics that I'm reading at the same time. So, like I said, click that link in the show notes so you can try a uh, sample for yourself. Uh, as for podcast partners, I want to start off by saying thank you to Pop Goes the Culture Network, home to about a dozen other pop culture related shows. Everything you want in pop culture is available right there. They have a show for you, whether you are looking for movie reviews, actor information, uh, musicals, it's all there. So click that link in the show notes so you can find all those wonderful shows, including the Sample Chapter Podcast, there on the Pop Goes the Culture Network. Uh, Lastly, I want to thank Project Entertainment Network, home to a little over 30 different shows of an extremely wide variety of content, whole bunch of shows there for you to choose from. Check out this advertisement from one of those amazing shows. This is Jim Adams from Monster Attack. Hey, if you remember that monster movie from your childhood that got it all started for you, the one that really got you interested in monster movies, horror movies, sci-fis, and cult films, then you're going to want to listen every week to Monster Attack. We look at some of our favorite monster movies from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. With new episodes uploaded every Monday, it's Monster Attack exclusively on the Project Entertainment Network. All right, thank you again, too my sponsors, my partners, and my podcast friends. Hey, make sure you're following them on social media. They are on most of the social media channels. Uh, follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you want to contact the Sample Chapter Podcast, you can do so by emailing me at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail. I <laughs> I got one the other day. I can't play it, though. Uh <laughs> It was just uh, ridiculous. Let's just put it that way. And I'd have to do a little bit of bleeping. So, uh, so yeah, send me a clean voicemail, people. <laughs> something something that's uh, fun like that, but uh, let's make it clean. And uh, if, if you want to do that, that number is 660-851-1146. And, uh, yeah, I will play that voicemail on an upcoming episode. All right. Without further ado, uh, you've waited long enough. Let's get on over to our interview with the incredible Stephen Paul Levin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sample Chapter Podcast. Oh my goodness! Today, I'm I'm very excited uh, with with my guest Stephen Paul Leva is with us here. Uh, before publishing 10 critically acclaimed novels, award-winning and Amazon best-selling author Stephen Paul Leva spent over 20 years in the entertainment industry as a writer and producer. He has worked with such talent as Richard Zanuck, Ivan Reitman, Ray Bradbury, Gary Kurtz, and the legendary Chuck Jones, which we got to share a little bit. We were talking a little bit before, uh, but the list goes on and on. It's such an amazing uh, background that he has, and then some incredible books, and uh, even today's book, Creature Feature, that you're going to hear from. I've just finished it, and you all are in for a treat. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Stephen Paul Leva. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Well, uh, I guess I should start off. Uh, how are you doing, and and uh, how's uh, how's this new year treating you so far? Uh, well, not bad. Uh, I'm alive. <laughs> the first thing I check when I get up in the morning. Uh, you know, 
sometimes, you know, people come up to you and you say, well, it's good to see you. And I always say, yes, I say that to myself every morning when I look in the mirror. Because, <laughs> oh, I'm still here. Uh, no, it's been good. I've been very, very busy uh, because um, at the end of last year, I launched my own imprint. I'd been publishing through several um, uh, indie publishers, but um, I was convinced by a fellow author to start doing it myself. So uh, I worked up on my own imprint, Magpie Press, and launched first with Creature Feature, um, of course, as, a, as an e-book and a print book and all that. And then, then we started working on getting the uh, audiobook made. And it's been a delight. So a lot of this year has been uh, getting that audio book done and uh, uh, posted and out there to uh, to a bunch of eager ears. Yes, yes. And I think that's the uh, one of the silver linings, I think, that came out of 2020 is audiobooks and, and books in general really hit a boom. Um, everybody was downloading auto, audiobooks to listen to or... Uh, or just reading and I, I did a little bit of both I, I love doing both of them all the time so uh, so th this is just well, perfect time yeah. well I'm a big fan always was always a big fan of radio and old radio uh, old, old old time radio I guess they call it uh -huh. uh, because even even for me it's old time radio I don't go back <laughs> that far but um, uh, it was a delight in the way I try to do when I can be in charge of my audiobooks which I was for a, a novel called Traveling in Space. I produced and directed that one myself. And then this one, I try to make them a little more than just a reading of the book. Um, uh, very much influenced by radio and to try to have it to be more the, the old classic theater of the mind. And I think we accomplished that with Seamus Dever in, uh, in this one. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it definitely was transportive. Uh, it, it gave me an old feel the old radio feel to it uh, i remember i i was a little bit younger but i do remember some of the old radio shows and catching them over times and, and this definitely put me back there and uh, it was a great time <laughs> well i had been uh, when i was a child we were gifted uh, a secondhand old console uh, radio with uh, a, a, a player which was a 78 rpm yeah record player because whoever my neighbor who who would you know traded it in for the new uh, LPs, <laughs> new 33. So we also inherited a bunch of their old 78s and a bunch were a whole collection of uh, records from radio programs like Jack Benny, Fibber McGee and Molly, uh, Amos and Andy. And I used to just play those over and over and over. So I, I think that was uh, inoculated me with comedy. <laughs> I was vac no, I wasn't vaccinated against comedy. I guess I was vaccinated for comedy. So, <laughs> but my no. my mother always said I was vaccinated with a, re uh, a recording needle anyway. So, <laughs> well, the the book we're talking about, everybody, is Creature Feature, a horrid comedy. Tell us about the uh, the inception of this. It was it was this just like a love letter to these uh, these days with the old radio. Well. For the audiobook, yeah, but for the book, it was more, uh, I mean, the basic story is, it's a spoof on old, old horror movies, uh, taking off from the old creature feature TV shows, of which there are still some, always hosted by Vampira or Envira or, you know, um, Sven Gulli, I guess, is a guy that does it now. Um, it's a spoof on those old monster movies. 
but it came from a question in my head, where, where the hell do people get these weird ideas? You know, <laughs> um, because they don't exist in real life with wolf mins and Frankenstein monsters and, and vampires and what have you. Uh, so where do we get these ideas? So I got this crazy idea in my head. Oh, they actually exist in another dimension, but some people have like a radio transceiver in their head where they can pick it up. So that was the that was the crux, and I built a story around that to have uh, to play with that. And so uh, my heroine is a actress named Kathy Anderson, who's was well trained at the Actors Studio in New York, and 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 this was probably in the um, in the late fifties. Uh, you know, and she may have been a classmate of Marlon Brando, and who knows. Uh, but she wound up getting cast as vam or Vivacia, the vampire woman in a local creature feature show in Chicago. And we pick up the story when she's had it. She's tired of being a sex symbol for geeks and nerds, uh, geeky nerds or nerdy geeks, however you want to put it. So she quits and heads off back to Broadway to be a, a major American diva star. But on the way, she stops off to see mom and dad in her hometown of Placidville. But Placidville is acting strange. Her mom and dad's acting strange. Everybody else in the town is acting strange. And she can't quite figure it out. She thinks it's just like a leftover in her head from years of being vampire and everybody seems strange or they're doing a big community-wide joke on her. So she's very frustrated. And finally, the town geek, who of course was madly in love with her when they were in high school together, tries to tell her that they're not really who you think they are. They're creatures from the fifth or maybe six dimension because he oh, hasn't really worked years. out which one yet um, <laughs> that have taken over the town. And uh, of course she doesn't believe them and it kind of snowballs from there. Oh my gosh. It's such campy fun. I love all the little, uh, the repetitiveness of some of the jokes that fifth or sixth dimension, how that replays throughout uh, the uh, muscular hero with the khaki pants, uh, how that so many of the lines that repeat and uh, illas, I'd never heard that term before. <laughs> Cracked me up too. The Whether they're an illa or illa, yeah, rilla or illa. They're an illa if they look like uh, Godzilla, and they're a rilla if they look like a gorilla. <laughs> so well, many just, unique you know, it's, things. It's fun to do that, and the repetition, which I do in a lot. You know, I I stole that from Homer, from the Iliad uh, and the Odyssey. <laughs> you know, because. I always try to write for the human voice in all my novels. And the, the, uh, Creature Feature is a balls out comedy, but I'm basically a comic and satiric writer. And, and sometimes a comic novel isn't necessarily laugh a minute. Mm -hmm. It just has a humorous point of view of life. Uh, so uh, I like to, um, I like, uh, and, I, and I said, I loved radio. And I love the human voice. I love narration of, of really good audio books and to hear that voice, which was what drives me to, to make try to make these special. So I write for the human voice because I am also a great love of theater. Um, and I think the human voice has a music all its own. So even when I'm writing prose and prose is my main art, I try to write it as if it is eventually gonna be uh, read out loud. You know, because, of course, Homer and the Iliad and the Odyssey were originally an oral tradition mm -hmm. and all literature comes from an oral tradition because, you know, we could speak before we could write. Yeah. That's just like when we we're babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, well, you know, one of the other things I loved about it was the extremely wild imagination that it was almost as if nothing was off limits, whether there's, let's see, try not to give any um, spoilers here, uh, bat caves or uh, <laughs> uh, motor vehicles that do more than you expect. Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the classic sheriff and their donuts, uh, different things that just... <sighs> And I, th never I think knew. I, it, I did a nice twist on that sheriff and the donuts. Yes, uh, you did. Yeah, that, that's that's the whole point. Is that it, 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 when you're doing a spoof and when you're doing something based on that, um, especially if you think your readers might love the originals, and yet, what do readers do when they love the originals of old monster shows? They still will laugh at them, or rather, laugh with them because they they're affectionate. Mm -hmm. they, they love these these films especially if they love them as children and then they grow up and they're still very attached to them but they can see where the cheesiness might be on occasion or the over over rottenness not rottenness but rottenness uh but they <laughs> they enjoy that so they're kind of enjoying it uh almost as buddies as pals so i wanted to i wanted to make sure that's there and it's funny because when i first wrote this story it was I just made it contemporary. It was just now. And then I soon realized, I said, now nah, this has got to take place during the 60s. And so I made it take place in the 60s and put in 60s references. And I don't know why I'm surprised, but I was surprised by the people that said, yeah, it's got this great nostalgia for the 60s. Well, I was just trying to be <laughs> more or less historically accurate. Yeah. <laughs> but I grew up in the 60s, so I suppose it, uh, <laughs> there's some nostalgia there. But yeah, it's just, you know, whether it be talking about the good to the last drop coffee and oh, gosh, coffee yes. cans. And so you you set you set decor. If you take if you place it in the 60s, even if you're writing a prose novel, you've got to set decorated in the 60s, don't you? Yep. It's that sort of thing. Um, right. And uh, and so that was just a, a lot of fun. Uh, to do with that and in and the narrator is is a character in and of himself uh this is why it was so important to get a good actor uh uh to do it and that's why i approached seamus yes yes uh, so yeah and i think it really brings another level to it it it, it brings mm -hmm. it all home your your idea of classic radio by having the audiobook done in the way that it's done and yeah, Seamus, and everybody, we're talking about Seamus Dever. If you ever watched Castle, he was Ryan on the show. And little known fact, his wife on the show is his real life wife, who is also in the book playing Kathy. And uh, they did a fantastic job. This was really, they really sell it. And uh, it takes it to another level that I think, but, yeah, it was just There's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, Seamus, it's funny because I, uh, I've known Seamus for, 10 years. Um, I met him when uh, back in 2010. Now I had been uh, a, a colleague and friend of Ray Bradbury's for many years. And back in 2010, when he was turning 90, and actually I got this idea the year before, I, I realized he was going to be turning 90. And I didn't want the year to pass without some major recognition for him here in Los Angeles. So I was able to convince the, the LA City Council and the president of the council at the time, Eric Garcetti, is currently our mayor. Um, to do something about it. When I first started talking to him in, in uh, uh, 2009, not 2019, 20, uh, 2009, 
about it. And then that, that recession really hit. They said, let's talk early in the new year. And that recession that hit us in 08 or whatever was really getting intense at that time. And the city was didn't have much in their coffers. So when I had my first meeting with them, I said, well, look, I know the city's hurting, uh, but any city can do what all cities do. And that is to name blah, blah day, right? Mm -hmm. I said, well, Ray Bradbury's too big for a day. I'd like a month, but I'll take a week. <laughs> and they said, okay, let's, we'll talk to Eric and we'll get back to you. So they talked to Eric and they got back to me and they said, you've got a week. And the first thing I said to myself is, holy shit, I've got a week. <laughs> what do I do with a week? So I organized uh, a whole series of events throughout the city of Los Angeles. One at the Central Library where we screened a wonderful ice cream suit, film version of, of his short story and short play with Joe Mantegna uh, in the movie. And so we screened it and then had Joe Mantegna and the... Um, uh, the director, Stuart Gordon there, and Ray and me moderating at the, our big central library in LA to talk about that film. I, I got Hugh Hefner and the Playboy Foundation to sponsor a screening of Fahrenheit 451 mm -hmm. because Fahrenheit 451, the novel was serialized in I think Playboy issues two, three, and four. And Hugh Hefner and Ray were friends for many, many years and Ray uh, had a lot of stories published there. Um, we did, and then one thing at the, I was a member of the Writers Guild and we would do uh, stage readings of our members work. And I went to Ray and said, I'd like to do a stage reading of one of your, uh, one of your plays, uh, your, uh, your one acts. And, uh, and I said, what, which one would you like? And he said, um, the better part of wisdom, which is one of his Irish stories. Um, it's not a, a supernatural story. It's not sci-fi. It's not fantasy. It's uh, just briefly, it's about a, a, an Irishman who's dying, who instead of spending money to bring all his relatives who are all out throughout the UK to come to him for a wake or to visit with him, he goes to visit him. And in this particular one, he's visiting his grandson in London, who lives in London. And in visiting him, he discovers that his grandson is living, and this is taking place in the late 50s, maybe early 60s, his grandson is living with another man, and obviously they're gay. And at that time in the UK, it was illegal. Now, this grandfather is an old Irish guy, and his reaction, he's, he's repulsed somewhat, and yet he's so loving that he pulls in that repulsion and decides that what's important is not how you love but who you love and that you love mm -hmm. it's a wonderful little piece and so uh, i said oh i love that i'm, I'm going to do it and we were working with a casting director that uh, consulted with the guild and i said we got to cast this as Irish. and i explained to him so he got me uh, uh james cromwell for the grandfather oh, yeah. now if you remember james cromwell he was in uh, well he, he's the farmer uh farmer tag it or something in babe yeah the pig That's and right. then he's in la confidential and then he suggested seamus dever for the irish grandson and i said oh i love him and castle was like a year into it mm -hmm. and then he another guy named uh, uh jeff canada who was big and as an internet host but also a good actor in fact actually uh, worked with uh, seamus at a shakespeare festival once so we gathered them together and rehearsed for one day and we put it on and it was 
brilliant and uh, Seamus was wonderful and everybody was. Ray was there. Ray was very, very moved. Um, and so oh, kept in touch with Seamus. Seamus did another Ray Bradbury event for me after Ray's death, where we did readings from Ray's work. So I immediately thought of him because not only is Seamus a good actor, but if you ever got on his Twitter account and he does these short little blasts of wit and he, during the pandemic, he and Juliana were doing happy hour videos every Friday night where they make a special cocktail and they're just talking and you could see the wit and the chemistry between them and everything like that. So I said, dad, have Seamus do all the male, the narration of male voices and have Juliana do all the female voices. And I, I was going to do it, but the, the whole way you do an audiobook, especially through ACX and Amazon, is they have to be registered and you put out an offer and this, this that, and it's a whole rigmarole. Yeah. And a lot of uh, audiobook narrators now have their own recording set up mm -hmm. and produce their own. And some uh, um, actors have their own recording setups because so many now do video auditions that they send in to people yeah. or audio auditions that they just send in if they're doing radio commercials or voiceovers or what have you. And I said, well, maybe Seamus doesn't have that. And, you know, I can't afford to, so I want to do 50-50 split. And, oh, and I started, but I was telling my best writer friend, Jean Raby, who's a, a fine fantasy writer and, and mystery writer. And she, she sort of goads me. She says, call him, call him, call him. And I said, well, okay, yeah, okay, I call him. And I called him and I said, I don't suppose you have a recording. So, well, to cut to it, he was so fascinated by the idea and his, one of his best friends is really big in book narration, uh, Ramon De Campo, he's also a fine actor and they're in a theater company together here in LA, the uh, Antias the Theater Company. So he got uh, a lot of advice from Ramon. He set up a recording situation at home just for this, yeah. made sure it worked. And so he wound up producing it, directing it and editing it. Wow. Adding the special effects, getting a good friend to write original music for it. So we've got a soundtrack. <laughs> and he just did a fabulous job. And his sense of humor comes through in everything. I don't know if it's genetic Irish wit or what have you, but it doesn't matter. He's just so damn talented and good. And he's got an incredibly wonderful voice. But he came up with a suggestion that let's have Juliana just do Kathy Vivacia mm. and just have her concentrate on that and I'll do all the others. Because like her friend, Mary, how different of a voice is Mary gonna have from yeah. Kathy Vivacia? Exactly. And it, I, I think it absolutely perfectly works to concentrate on just Kathy, because the two main characters in a way aren't even Kathy and the nerd Gerald. It's really Kathy and the narrator. Because yeah. the narrator is almost as if this is a conspiracy theorist telling you about this old conspiracy. It's kind of the, the feel of it. <laughs> so it was great. Oh and Seamus <clears throat> threw himself into the Now, if a pandemic had not been going on, this probably wouldn't have happened. So, <laughs> If you can find a silver lining in a worldwide pandemic, and I'm, it's horrible to even say that, I, I found one, but you know. Um, it, you know, there's- I need to apologize for it, I suppose. 
I've, I've heard a lot of that in the last uh, year and a half now, about almost a year and a half since this has been happening. Uh, same thing with uh, with uh, Lou Diamond Phillips last year when I talked with him. It gave him the opportunity to finish his book uh, that he did. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and then same thing again with you. Yeah. I saw him talking about the book. I thought, oh, man, he'll never come on my show. Well, I'll just ask, what difference does it make? And lo and behold, he said yes. And Sure. And we had a blast and uh, it, it, uh, it, you never know. It just, it works out and it certainly worked out really well with, uh, with the creature feature. Cause it's, it comes together so well. And I, I think as much as I, I know the book itself would be, will be great by itself. I think this is really, like I said, just another level hearing the, the audio book of it, the audio version. Yeah. Oh, it, it definitely, it definitely does that. Cause like I say, I write for that human voice. Now, when mm -hmm. you're reading it, you're going to put in your own voices and depending on how you read and you know, what's interesting is, is something that really bugs me. There's a lot of people who read and don't hear the individual words in their head. Mm. It's that old sort of Evelyn Wood idea. You know, mm. remember Evelyn Wood reading dynamics, I don't even know if they push it anymore, but it was a way to speed read. Okay. Um, and the, the, the theory behind it is when you come up to a stop sign, you don't read stop, do you? Right. You have to look at the sign, you know what it means. Mm -hmm. So her training was to make you see whole sentences and understand what they mean. And eventually whole paragraphs in one shot and you get it. Mm -hmm. And my mother read that way. She didn't take Evelyn Wood. She just trained herself. She used to say to me, I don't really hear the words i see pictures and i just wanted to be <laughs> because words to me are important uh i consider myself an artist in prose a sculptor is an artist in clay or marble or what have you you know a painter in paints uh, a collage artist in found paper whatever mm -hmm. you 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 have the medium and words are important to me and the sound of words and the repetition of words and what have you but so there's people who who when they read they don't hear the words so they're not getting the voice and every author needs to have a competent voice audiobooks allow you to force them to hear the words mm -hmm. so i suppose in a way it's a punishment <laughs> but a delightful one especially when you have Seamus and Juliana doing this and and let me put a shout out to Ray Ziegler who did the music because oh, it's a lot, of, a lot of fun little music and you can get the, the all of the music on Spotify um, oh okay he's got the whole soundtrack which is a you know is a movie length soundtrack obviously uh -huh. but it's on Spotify just I guess type in Ray Ziegler and and you'll find it um he's got the sweet for a creature feature but he's he's written it in french so it sounds <laughs> sounds very fancy that's all i mean i may have to look that up because i i was really enjoying the, the music between the chapters and i'll send you a link to spotify ah wonderful thank yeah. you thank you yeah so so what are you working on next um well i've got several i'm working on to get out um that are waiting in the queue uh, so to speak. Um, what I'm going to put out next, I actually have a novella called Made on the Moon, which is already out. It was published by uh, Crossroad Press. Um, and that uh, also very much depends on, on voice. Um, but I'm going to, I've decided to take that and a short story I recently wrote for an anthology 
called um, Cyrano de Bergerac and Baron Munchausen Go to Mars. And I'm going to add some other stuff and I'm going to package it under one book called uh, Extraordinary Voyages. So there'll be the novella uh, Made on the Moon, there'll be uh, this short story, and I've got an essay about the, the trials and tribulations of Made on the Moon, because originally, I originally wrote it as a short story, then it became a one-act play, then it became uh, a, a, a three uh, or a two-act play, which premiered at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland, low these many years, but we kept just missing getting it produced in, in the United States. I mean, you're that close to a kind of a major off-Broadway production when the uh, the main actor got cast in a TV show that was uh, going to be produced in Vancouver. So he wasn't anywhere near close. That was a comedian named Paul Provenza. I don't know if you've ever heard of Paul. Um, name. Yeah, he on Showtime for a while, he did a show called The, the Green Room with Paul Provenza. And okay. he, did a, he did a famous uh, sort of rude documentary called The Aristocrats about the um, most obscene joke ever told. And every comedian knows it has their version of this obscene joke. And so he, he interviewed all the major comedians who all had their own version of this joke. Anyway, so finally I decided, uh, you know, I'm not, obviously not going to get this thing produced in theater right now, so I'm going to turn it into prose. And it turned out to be uh, a wonderful experience, but it's uh, it's a one uh, actually yeah short two act play about a ninety minute play so it only made a novella, okay. but now I can package it in and uh, Crossroad did not put out a print version because it was just a novella so it's just an ebook at the moment, but it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, um, so there there's that essay and then a few other things. I recently wrote up a, a blog which I think I'll include which is called. Um, what I would put on my Wikipedia page if I thought Wikipedia would allow me. I was reading that this morning. <laughs> I don't have a Wikipedia page. So. <laughs> I thought, uh, you know, so it's just that's there. And then coming up is a, a big novel um, called The Reluctant Heterosexual, which also uh, had a long history. But it's a big novel. I call it a novel in um, uh, four movements or three movements, a prelude and an interlude, because each section has sort of a certain tone and feel like a piece of symphonic music. Each movement will be, uh, some will be you know, played rapidly, some will be slow, some will be this, that, and that kind of a thing. Um, and then I'm just finishing, I'm just going to start the last chapter of a book I'm writing called The Definition of Luck. So, and, and after that, who knows? <laughs> after that, I may just not do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Except market these babies, because boy, that takes a lot of time. Unless the, uh, the idea for Creature Feature 2 comes to you. Yeah, I left a sort of... A little bit, a little bit there. Yeah, yeah. Just because... <laughs> But I have a hard time, you know, um, if I was smart, I would write a series, but I'm not ah. smart. I'm dumb. The only sequel I ever wrote, my first uh, published novel was called Blood is Pretty, which is a satiric Hollywood thriller. Mm. If you can imagine such a thing, which you really don't have to, because all you have to do is read my book, because I already imagined it. <laughs> but it has, because, you know, I spent over 20 years working in Hollywood and, uh, uh, it came out, uh, and then I wrote a sequel called 
Hollywood is an all-volunteer army. Um, and it, the main character is called The Fixer. Who, who, and there's so many people with characters called The Fixer that I spell it with two X's. <laughs> why no one else ever thought of that, I don't know. Anyway, and there were fun books. but the, And I liked the second one, but I realized I basically followed the same pattern as the first one. And I said, I, you know, if I'd managed to sell the first one big time, I suppose I would be stuck writing fixer sequels now. But I have a lot of there's, you know, it, it just doesn't appeal to me to stick with kind of one thing. Um, or I just don't have the talent to do it. It could be one way to put it. But I like jumping between different kinds of genres and writing books that are a little straight some that are comics, some that are balls out comedies like Creature Feature. And, you know, uh, I, I, I follow the dictum of, uh, we may have mentioned when we were talking before that I worked for many years with the great Looney Tunes director, Chuck Jones, mm -hmm. who created The Roadrunner and the Coyote, and of course, directed Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck at Al. Um, and he always talked about when they were making these cartoons in what was called Termite Terrace, which was their original studio, on uh, one of the Warner Brothers lots, um, they, they, the studio knew they needed a cartoon, so they didn't, they didn't care what they put up. So they basically left the cartoon unit alone. These guys were not bothered by, you must make this kind of cartoon. Yeah. So as he said, we, just, we, made, we didn't make cartoon for kids, certainly, and talked about this a lot when animation in the 50s and Hanna-Barbera, and everybody thought cartoons were just kiddie fair, right? said, we didn't make them for kids. We didn't make them for adults. We just made them for ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's the key is, is uh, you know, write for yourself, write what pleases you. And you're like, likely to produce something that may please other people. If you try to write for other people, you may just write something that's formulaic or like what everybody else is writing. And uh, that, to me, that would be a curse. That would be a horrible curse. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree. So, well, where can, uh, where can people find and follow you? Always on Amazon. I got my regular Amazon page there. I have a blog, uh, The Emotional Rationalist. Uh, and if you just Google Stephen Paul Leva, L-E-I-V-A, um, you will, you'll get links to all those. On my blog, I have a My Books page where all my books are listed. And uh, uh, I've, I've been very fortunate to get a lot of nice uh, uh, feedback and reviews. Um, and uh, uh, writers who I admire uh, uh, saying good things, like, I don't know if you know who Diane Ackerman is. Yeah. She's a great um, nature writer who is, what I love about her is she's a prose artist. She writes beautifully. She's actually a protege of Carl Sagan. He was oh, a great wow. writer. So yeah. she writes um, these um, uh, all based on the, she's a naturalist, but she's also a poet, published poet. So her writing is just gorgeous. The Whale at Moonlight and uh, other books like that. Um, and I was fortunate to meet her at our, our central library, told her about traveling in space. She said she was interested. I said to her, she sent me a nice blurb for it. <laughs> so, and of course, Ray Bradbury I've had and, and uh, um, a philosopher in Australia, who I like, named Russell Blackbird, but he's also a, a sci-fi nut and a lover of Marvel comics, and he's written some science fiction, and he wrote, he writes uh, at the academic stuff on science fiction as well, and he's been, uh, he's been uh, uh, encouraging. 
and just you know the the good blogs out there and other people like that so you know i'm i'm not dumb i put their blurbs up and you can read those <laughs> so you don't have to take my word for it you know when you take my words let it be the words in the books <laughs> there you go that's right <laughs> yeah. all right well, everybody, you know, I'm going to have links for that in the show notes. That way you don't have to worry about trying to spell the names or anything. You can just click that link and it's going to get you right over to everywhere. Uh, Mr. Leva, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Oh, this please, has call been... me Jack. <laughs> Jack. That's not my name. But <laughs> I, I was double checking. I was like, wait a minute, I've been calling you the wrong name. So... <laughs> <laughs> I've had a blast. This has been really a lot of fun. And uh, oh, thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. Me too. And I want, I want you to put your helmet on. Chris, this is a podcast. They can't see your Viking Right. They helmet. can't see me. Yeah. Everybody, I've got my uh, Dan O'Reimo helmet here, the uh, Elmer Fudd horned Viking helmet behind us here. Kill the wabbit. Kill the wabbit. That's right. I'll have to put that on here in a moment. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. Oh, my, uh, my oldest son, when he was three, uh, he and I reenacted that perfectly. Ah, my, wife, my wife could not believe that we remembered all the words, but we'd watched it so many times. And I didn't have the helmet then, but yeah, it was great. Well, and you should have done it again for Father's Day. Oh, we should. Well, I don't know if I can carry him like I did then. <laughs> oh, was, was he the? Uh, he was. Uh, he was uh, Bugs, and I was Elmer. Oh, yeah. oh there you go. <laughs> So maybe I'll have him carry me now. So. <laughs> well, oh be, my gosh. I also, by the way, just quickly, in case anyone's interested, I, I dealt with the characters. I produced the animation for the original Space Jam. So I love it. I spent yes. a lot of time with Bugs and Daffy and those characters. Oh my gosh. Fantastic movie. I love that one. It, you've, you've got quite the the background in uh, just the kind of stuff I would love to get involved in and uh Fantastic. You got a great career. And uh, I, I look forward to uh, to more of your work. Well, thank you very much. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you have a real treat today because I'm not going to put Stephen Paul Leva on the uh, on the line here for the reading, which is what we normally do. You're going to be hearing from Seamus and uh, and his wife, and uh, they're going to be doing the reading. You're going to hear the actual audio from the book today. So that's coming up right here in Creature Feature, a horrid comedy Magpie Press and Professor Woland and Company Incorporated presents Creature Feature, a horrid comedy by Stephen Paul Leva. Narrated by Juliana Dever and Seamus Dever. Chapter One The Beginning. In 1962, the United States of America, and indeed the whole world, faced an existential threat to our very existence. Yes, yes, I know, that's redundancy in the extreme. But this threat, this danger, not only to our lives, but to our very way of life, was so imminent, so gut-wrenching, so horrifying, so unthinkable, that surely I can be excused a little alarmist redundancy, not to mention the exclamation mark. Those of you who were alive at the time, or those of you who know your history, or those of you with even just a vague memory of a hint of a rumor, will immediately think I am writing about the Cuban Missile Crisis in October of that year, 
when President John F. Kennedy, through disciplined and calm wisdom, saved our bacon bits. Or tempeh tidbits, depending on your dietary requirements. Not that Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev didn't find a spark of humanity within his bald communist cranium and contribute to our bullet dodging. But Kennedy was the hero in our books. You may well be thinking that this boiling pot of Cold War stew is what I'm writing about, but you would be wrong. I am writing about something you and historians and even podcast pundits have never heard about. Something that was far more existentially existential to our continued existence than a mundane nuclear holocaust. And you have never heard about it because those who survived the calamity that almost was entered into a conspiracy of silence. No, let me rewrite that. Uh, conspiracy is too jaundiced a word. They entered into a pact of silence for fear of causing mass hysteria and worldwide panic and general consternation and rampant indigestion. But now is the time to finally reveal the truth so long hidden from you. And now is the time to speak of the hero and heroine, if I may not be too politically incorrect in using the feminine, who in the summer of 62 not only saved our bacon, but the whole damn pork enchilada. And only I can do that because only I know the whole story. And as it is a story of black and white, put on your black and white specks and take a good look as we enter deep into a dark swamp thick with bald cypress trees standing on their cypress knees as murky and mucky water flows around and all the cormorants and whooping cranes and anhingas have run, flown, or darted away. All the ducks have ducked underwater, and even the bald eagles and various hawks have lit out for safer territory, as monumental hand-to-hand -hand combat between a good-looking, well-muscled male human hero in khaki clothes and an ugly, giant, two-legged lizardman of some exceptional martial skill disturbs the usual peace of the swamp. A high-pitched scream is heard as a gorgeous blonde with perfect makeup and a blouse missing some buttons fears for the life of the male human she may or may not have had carnal relations with, and not incidentally, her own life as well, while clinging to the knee of a bald cypress tree. Finally, the male human hero gets the upper hand and manages to push the lizard man to a shallow part of the swamp with strange gases hovering close to the water's surface. From his belt, the hero grabs a flare gun and does not hesitate to send a flare straight into the water right between the lizard man's legs. Hellfire explodes all around the lizard man. It is a fire that one knows is red and yellow with white hot heat, but here it is only illuminated shades of gray. The lizard man, confused by the searing heat and pain, lets out an unearthly howl as he slowly cooks to death. The good-looking, well-muscled male human hero in khaki grabs the gorgeous blonde with perfect makeup and a blouse missing some buttons and holds her tight as three-dimensionally-looking letters in two dimensions fly up from nowhere and smack against the screen, spelling out, Attack of the Lizard Man, and the end, and made in Hollywood, USA. The broadcast of this early 1950s horror flick being over, the small studio at Chicago's WAGO-TV station bustled and burst with color. Colorful sets, colorful language from frustrated technicians, 
as they switched to live to finish this episode of Vivacia's House of Horrors. The beautiful Vivacia herself, pale of face, framed by long raven's wing, what else, black hair, and wearing a slinky and slick ebony satin dress with a plunging neckline, or décolletage if we want to bring a little lift to the thought, lounged sensually on her huge round bed with blood-red silk sheets. The producer had gotten the idea from Chicago native Hugh Hefner. She looked directly into camera number one and held up what looked exactly like a barbecued lizard on a stick and said in her deep, silky voice, Ooh, lizard flambe. With a ravenous, anticipatory smile, Vivacia parted her lips, brought the lizard flambe to her mouth, and took a generous bite full of sexual subtext. She chewed, savored, swallowed, then said, I love it. A snort and a whimper came from her side as a little hunchback man with a twisted face bounced on the bed next to her. Would you like a little bite, Grossy? Grossy? Snorting and panting made it clear that he would, and so Vivacia let him slobber onto the reptilian delicacy, licking it like a popsicle as she said, Well, it's time for me to close up the house of horrors for the summer, turn out the lights, and scream to my heart's content. But do tune in tomorrow for our first ever rerun of that masterpiece of waterfowl fright, Devil Ducks from Down Under. It's Australian, mate. The red light on the camera dimmed, and the director, somewhat dim himself, shouted, All right, everybody, another classic in the can. Vivacia relaxed as Grossi collapsed into her décolletage while snorting out his signature snort. Arthur, please, Vivacia said as she pushed Grossi out of her cleavage and flat, sort of, onto his costume's cotton-filled humpback. Vivacia shimmied herself off the round bed just as her agent, who was ironically named Al Hart, came up and handed her a cup of coffee, which she took with gratitude and downed with alacrity. Baby, sweetie, that was great. I still have chills running up and down my spine. Vivacia looked at her agent, a genial man who was never seen wearing anything but a three-piece gray suit draped over his skinny frame, and one inferred lifts in his shoes, as well as a gray fedora to keep Chicago's wind from sweeping across his bald pate. How is that possible, Al? Vivacia asked in her deep, silky voice. I didn't know you had a spine. Are you kidding, kiddo? It's steel, I tell you, steel. Vivacia handed her now empty coffee cup back to Al and left the studio floor to walk down a corridor to her dressing room. Yeah, yeah, sure. Al, who actually did not have an office in metropolitan Chicago, but rather in a nearby suburb in a room over the garage of his ancestral home, quickly put down the cup and reached into his inside coat pocket and withdrew with pride a folded document and hurried to follow the mistress of the night. Well, maybe this will prove it to you, baby. I got your new contract right here, and I got you a great deal. Three years, no ifs, ands, or buts. A 2.3% raise over those three years, and your dressing room repainted. Vivacia continued down the corridor, shouting back, Al, I told you. No way. And when she spotted the 19-year-old associate producer of Vivacia's House of Horrors down the corridor, just about to dash into editorial, she shouted forward, George! 
At the deep-voiced, silky, yet pointed command of the vampire woman, George stopped midway through the editorial door. Vivacia came up to him and held the lizard on a stick with a generous bite out of it right in front of his fuzzy face. What the hell did you fashion this lizard out of? Ah, George's eyes darted right, then darted left, then up, possibly in supplication to a supernatural being for protection, then down in avoidance as his mouth formed a feeble smile and he barely articulated, Lizard? You bastard, Vivacious said with a chill in her voice and revenge on her mind. Gotta go, George dashed into editorial and quickly closed the door. Vivacious began down the corridor again. If my mind weren't already made up, that would have done it. Al quickly followed. Listen, please, this is a great deal. It is the high point of my career. Vivacious stopped, turned, burned a look into Al's pinpoint eyes and said, Al. Getting a second client would be the high point of your career. Vivacia and Al came to the dressing room of one Kathy Anderson, as it said on the door, and entered. Vivacia immediately went behind an ornate but faded dressing screen that once resided in Chicago's once great Studebaker Theater, and Al plopped himself onto a worn and patched couch of no known style. Kathy, please, please, don't. Do this to yourself. You turn down a deal like this and the word goes out. And I hate to put it in these terms, but it's a cruel business. The B-I-T-C-H is difficult. You'll never work in this town again. Vivacious deep and silky voice countered from behind the screen. Oh, don't give me that, Al. This isn't network primetime TV. This is a cheap local station late night creature feature show for Christ's sake. And I'm sick and tired of being a sex goddess for geeks, she exclaimed as she tossed her black dress over the top of the screen. It landed on Al's lap. And who cares about Chicago anyway? There's a reason why they call it the second city. I'm a well-trained actor, Al. I studied at the actor's studio in New York, Al. You know, the first city. I should be playing my craft on Broadway. I should be doing plays by Arthur Miller and Tennessee Williams. Even this new guy, Albie. Broadway's dying, baby. Vivacious, deep and silky voice, laced with venom, came as a curse from behind the dressing screen. Al, don't ever say that again. Broadway will never die. Al was unrelenting. TV's killing it, kiddo. Oh, Al, please. Vivacia had vanished. Somebody else was suddenly pleading in a voice neither deep nor silky. Out from behind the screen came Kathy Anderson. In truth, more scamp than vamp. An all-American blonde girl of leading cheers and making homes and occupying the day and night dreams of countless young American males who didn't deserve her. Except, of course, Kathy wanted more. You have to understand. She finished. Standing in a warm light, wearing a simple nice skirt and a white blouse and holding Vivacia's black wig at her side like a large dead rat. I am going crazy playing Vivacia. I was meant to be Ophelia, Joan of Arc, Hedda Gobbler. Not a vampire woman who eats lizards on a stick. Kathy gestured broadly, with the wig in hand, like a nightmare pom-pom from hell. But... It's all settled. First thing tomorrow, I'm taking off. I'm going to stop and see my parents for a couple of weeks so you can send my last check there. Then it's New York. The stage or die. Kathy grabbed a framed photo of her parents from her dressing table and her oversized purse, stuffing the wig into it. Ah, 
Al said. Hey, I paid for this wig. Remember? It wasn't part of the last deal you got me. No, I just thought you would want the dress, too, Al Hart said, offering up the dress from his lap. Oh, yeah. I paid for that, too. Kathy snatched the dress from Al's hand, then marched to the door, turned back to face Al with a bright smile and a cheerful... Bye. Accented by a little wave of her hand. Then she turned and left, canceling this episode of her life. So that was not Stephen Paul Leva. <laughs> that was Seamus and Juliana Dever doing the wonderful narration for Creature Feature, a horrid comedy, by our guest today, Stephen Paul Leva. You can find the links for that and everywhere to find Stephen down in the show notes. So you can click there and follow him everywhere he is available. Don't forget to also follow our podcast friends, our partners, and sponsor alike. And Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, so that you don't miss out next week when I am back with with author S. Faxon with her book, Tiny Dreadful. That's coming up next week, so until then, take care. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.